Chris and Loud, Cleveland. Interviewing top sports personalities from around the nation in order to provide you next level insight and analysis into your Cleveland Browns. Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. And now, here is your host, Brad Ward. What's happening? It's a special bonus edition, All Eyes on Cleveland on a Saturday. Uh, The Jarvis Landry softball game is going on out there. We've got an incredibly special guest for you today. His name is Zach Moore. Uh, He has his MBA. He wrote a book called Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. He did a lot of study on uh, the Browns and Sashi Brown and... Uh, John Dorsey and the path that the Browns have taken to getting better. Um, And he's here to talk about team building, uh, pre and post quarterback contract. Uh, He's done some work with NFL teams. He was an NFLPA certified agent. So he's worked with players and negotiations and other things. Very interesting individual Zach is. And I think you'll really, really enjoy uh, his interview today on our show. Uh, We're going to get to that here in just a second. Uh, First and uh, foremost, I want to thank you for tuning in. And uh, as always, and uh, you guys are fantastic. Uh, While you are here uh, watching uh, the show, if you could hit the like button, uh, just just tap that like button, hit subscribe. Uh, We're doing great. We're getting up there and subscribers uh, and uh, we're doing big things. I'm going to have some big announcements for All Eyes on Cleveland. Big things coming down the line that you guys are really going to like, I think, a lot about uh, the channel and just what we're going to do, uh, even beyond just being a podcast channel, just for the Browns community in general. And I think everybody will be really happy about all of those things. Uh, but without any further ado, let's get you to the interview uh, this afternoon. Uh, let's get you to Zach Moore. Uh, Mikey, uh, you have this queued up here, sir. All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, make that transition. Uh, and a uh, fantastic guest, and we thank Zach. Uh, he uh, works uh, at the uh, as a writer for the OverTheCap.com, a uh, fantastic website where you can get all your salary cap information. Uh, he was a certified NFLPA agent. Uh, and wrote uh, a book called Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. Uh, Without any further ado, let's get you to Zach Moore. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce a very special guest to all eyes on Cleveland tonight. His name is Zach Moore. Zach is a certified NFLPA agent, a writer for OverTheCap.com, as well as author of Caponomics building uh, Super Bowl champions. Uh, welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland, Zach. It's a fantastic to have you. How you doing? I'm good. I uh, I wanted to correct. I uh, I let uh, I let my certification lapse. I've uh, taken a new direction towards jujitsu uh, and and the the stuff we've got going on here in Austin. Comedy, jujitsu, everything's here. So um, <laughs> I've made a I made a little bit of a career change, but I, I am happy to be here with you. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. I was going to ask you about the MMA, the jiu-jitsu. So what are you doing with that now? We'll get into the football in a minute, but what are you doing with that now? We have uh, probably one of the, uh, you know, probably the best school in the country. 
um, and it, in terms of people wanting to come here and visit us too as well. Uh, we've become sort of a, uh, a mecca for jiu-jitsu and, and for fighting. We've developed an MMA team in just the last year. We've got guys that are uh, on the cusp of becoming professionals and uh, our, our jiu-jitsu, our head coach and our owner of the gym actually just moved back from Alaska. He moved up there to help out his tribe, his Native American tribe, the Kanatse Indian tribe. Uh, he got in a, a little bit of a war with their tribal council for the good of the tribe, and he won his war. And uh, it only took him a year, and he came on back down here. And so uh, I saw him for the first time in a year last night. But uh, we, we we're growing a big school. We've got a great coach named Gabe Tuttle. He's Joe Rogan's uh, – seems to be Joe Rogan's personal um, jiu-jitsu coach right now. And um, just we're kind of making our way, and we're a young school, but we're uh, we're on the way. Is that the tenth planet? Is that what that is? Okay. Yeah, tenth planet Austin, uh, underneath uh, Eddie Bravo, uh, whom some of y'all may know as the conspiracy yeah. guy on Joe Rogan's podcast. So, <laughs> very cool. So, uh, I'm sure some of our fans will want to check that out for sure, and that's pretty cool stuff there, Zach. Now let's uh, let's get back into some of the, your your football accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, obviously. You wrote a book, Caponomics, uh, Building Super Bowl Champions. I've got a number of reviews here and everything, but I'm sure you can explain it better than anybody. And I'll go ahead and bring up uh, the uh, photo here of the book. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about this uh, this book. So the, fir- uh, the it was a study of, um, I guess, to go back, my, my father and I used to visit Austin when I was a kid. Um and I was from, I'm from New Jersey, but uh, we had a friend down here who was an author and he's a very prestigious, like he's written a lot, a uh, lot of books named Russ Hall. And uh, through understanding and, and knowing him, I realized that the way to learn about things was to write about them. And I had a goal of becoming an NFL agent, I, which also, you know, studying the salary cap became a goal of maybe working for a team, things like that. Goals change. And then, you know, um, but I, I, realized that the way to learn about contracts and the way to learn about the salary cap was to write about it. So I started writing about it on my personal blog. And then that became, I came on to over the cap and started writing about it there. And then I, you know, found this information with caponomics and building Super Bowl champions, which was able to condense all of my um, research into like one narrative, right? Like what are we trying to do? What's the objective? We're trying to succeed. We're trying to win Super Bowls. Even if you're just trying to increase the valuation of your franchise as an owner, um, you're in a position where you're, you're the best way to do that is to be successful and to be successful uh, continuously. And so that first book, uh, which then became a second book, um, it really just studied, you know, a lot of uh, the 20 at that point, it was 23 salary cap era champions. I looked at how they spent their money and what they did. And I looked for inefficiencies, things that were efficient, uh, things that seemed to correlate with success, things that seemed to correlate with a lack of success. And um, over that time, I uh, really kind of molded myself into an expert about uh, just team building strategies, strategies in general. And, um, you know, kind of war, like, I, I, I don't like you overuse the term war, but like kind of like war strategies of, I, I think similarly with the, the jujitsu and MMA now is that, and I read books about war strategy as well. And, um, you know, Musashi says, and it's a quote Rogan quotes often is that when you know the way in in one thing, you can, if you know the way broadly, you can see it in all things. And, um, that's kind of where my field of study is. And it's, it's served me well in being able to articulate some of these concepts. Um, 
in football and, and now in my other uh, avenues, you know? Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. It, it's, uh, and from the stuff that I looked at it, it's, uh, very detailed, very much, you know, uh, you know, salary cap allocation, uh, you know, a very analytical approach to things. Uh, and that's something that as Cleveland Browns fans, we're incredibly interested in, obviously, yes. because of, uh, Paul D. Podesta and, you know, the chief strategy officer for the Browns and kind of the, the approach that he has brought to this organization from day one with Sashi Brown. And, and we'll kind of get into that to start for the Browns here, since that's right up your avenue, right? So the, the Browns were one in 31. And, you know, this is, you know, going all the way back to 99, they've sucked with the exception of one year, really, right? And, and it's been a struggle. Uh, but GM Sashi Brown and Paul D. Podesta, uh, came in same time. Uh, Sashi Brown, you know, wasn't successful as a general manager as far as winning games, but he acquired a ton of draft assets and really ripped it down to the studs, right? Just took, just ripped it down to bare nothing. And, and as fans, we struggled through that for two years, uh, with Hugh Jackson as the head coach. It was bad, rough times, right? And, uh, uh, not to mention that during that time span, you know, they put us on uh, uh, hard knocks and everything. So, you know, it, it was very it was a laughing stock of the league. Well, uh, GM entered John Dorsey's hire. Okay, uh, John Dorsey enters, who is kind of the opposite of Paul D. Podesta. He's an old school football guy, not analytical, kind of a, a, a just a scout through and through, right? And he did a great job though with the Browns of just adding an influx of talent, right? Like, he really just, he drafted pretty well for the most part, um, and he hit on some key players in the draft, and he added guys like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham through trades and really brought some star power and, and things like that to the Browns. Then he had the opportunity where it was kind of a battle in Cleveland, right? Where it was the analytical side versus John Dorsey. Ownership kind of tipped the cap to Dorsey, like, hey, you're doing well here. We'll let you make this coaching hire, right, when it was time to hire. Well, he rolled with Freddie Kitchens, his guy, and it got him fired, right? Uh, it was in, in retrospect, it was not a very smart hire. Uh, a guy with not much experience there, kind of riding the wave of what they, the success they felt at the end of the prior season, uh, going into 2019, a ton of hype, and and they laid an egg. The team did, and Kitchens gets fired after one year. Uh, so then they decided to go the route of De Podesta, where he wanted to go initially, and they kind of did it backwards, because I always think you hire a GM first and let the GM hire the coach, but they hire Kevin Stefanski, because that was De Podesta's guy from day one, a very analytical guy and a great head coach or a good coach, you know, uh, from what we've seen so far, he's been terrific in Cleveland. Uh, and then they bring in Andrew Berry, the youngest GM in football. He has in his second year now, year one, he kind of remade the offensive line, uh, dedicated a lot of the draft assets towards that, and adding Austin Hooper, offensive side of the ball, let's get Baker all the weapons we can and protect him. And then year two, they've really remade their defense in free agency in the draft. Uh, just kind of overall thoughts on that whole process. Is that yep. something that teams will try to duplicate, Zach? Because uh, it has kind of worked. Um, and then secondly, where you, you know, kind of where you're at with where the Browns are right now and your thoughts on what Andrew Barry has done. So 
I've been a, a fan of what they've done since the day I saw it started. Um, you know, that first book, uh, you know, the second book has a more of an explanation and that'll come out when I, when I, I have a third book, uh, that I just finished a book proposal on. So that caponomics, how NFL champions are built and dynasties are destroyed. Uh, I had a publisher for that. We, uh, we, we didn't see eye to eye. Uh, so I've got that ready for, uh, the next, the next go round of publishing and, and this next book I've got coming. Um, Something to look for. And, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really got into, uh, where they were a little bit more in the current moment, but in the, in the beginning, uh, that, that first book, Building Super Bowl Champions, you know, that was that was completed and released in January 2018, I think, was which was after one of those years that turned into 1-32, in right? That was 2016, 2017, where they went 1-31? in 31. Yes, that's correct. Right, right. So even back then, I, I knew what was on the horizon. And what's on the horizon is what we saw last year um, and, and what we're going to see this year, which is uh, we, we, we talked about this before the show, is that, that that cap carryover was always very important but especially important due to what's happened over the last uh, 16 months, right? Like um, where a lot of teams are, are in a bit of a crunch, we're in a situation where we're talking about uh, a potential of the – well, right now the Browns have $20.6 million in cap space uh, after their top 51, according to overthecap.com. Um, and over the cap says there's $9.8 million to the caps uh, to the cap ceiling for 2022 – based on their current amount of outlays to the cap, right? They gave a lot of money to Miles Garrett. Um, yep. They still have, you know, Odell and they still have Jarvis. Um, but, you know, to, to speak on those, uh, to speak especially on Odell, one of the interesting things about what Dorsey did was he went out and traded for someone who then all of his, he, he becomes increasingly less expensive because the, uh, the, uh, the signing bonus is not prorated out across the length of that deal that that was left with the giants. And yep. so there, there were so many interesting things, uh, ingredients to what has happened. Um, the fact that they went one in 30, 31 is actually, was actually a good thing. Um, it put them in this position where they got, um, you know, and they drafted at, at important positions. They drafted a pass rusher. They drafted a, a, a pass defender in Denzel Ward and they pe- drafted a passer. Those are the roles that you're going to want to um, invest high draft picks in, invest a lot of money in. Uh, defensive end is a little bit more complicated. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a mind of, uh, cycling guys through, but Miles Garrett is obviously top notch, top of the food chain type type of athlete. Um, and, and and when we're talking about Cleveland, Cleveland has all this cap space because of what's happened. Now that that regime that went one in thirty one, they were they went didn't draft well. And a lot of people would look back at the Carson Wentz deal and be like, why did they trade away that Carson Wentz deal? As I detail in both books, is like that deal ended up being. Uh, this, you know, you've got a ton of draft picks and, and a lot of those draft picks didn't work out, but what ended up happening was, um, they were just basically, uh, accumulating cap space, accumulating draft picks. Um, and they were accumulating cap space as well because they had so many draft picks too, because they had so many guys who didn't cost them anything. That's the one, one of the major issues with, uh, the NFL is that about 60 and this is putting my agent hat on, right? Um, about 60% of the NFL is in their first four years, 60 to 65%. So at the, the rest of them, the thir- uh, 35, 40% um, are the guys that are, that have moved on uh, to the second contract, third contract and, and so on. Only about like uh, 12 to 15% of the league is in year eight or higher. So like, it's not a sport where there's a lot of longevity, right? We know this um, yeah. in that scenario. What, um, what we're talking about is, is that, 
um, they've got, they had all that cheap, cheap, cheap labor, basically. Um, and that puts us in the position we're in right now where we're looking at, and that's why kind of Browns fans have been the main, like I've got a, a buddy, Jack Duffin from, uh, the UK, big Browns. I know fan. Jack. You know, Jack. Yeah. Yep. And, and, um, Jack, Jack knows, knows his stuff and he's a, he's a big, uh, supporter and reader of what I've done. And, uh, you know, people like that with the Browns have been super interested in, in the process processes that I'm talking about, because you've gotten to watch it firsthand and watch it play out. And, um, while there were those dark days, now we're, we're looking at a team that may have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, um, has a tremendous defense, uh, has probably the best uh, running back tandem in the league. Um, yep. Maybe the most, uh, we may, arguably the most talented receiver group, potentially. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what we see out of Odell and Landry, but, you know, those are two guys that I, I don't see mentioned as uh one of the top receiver duos in the NFL, but, um, you know, talent wise, they're up there with anyone. So you've yeah. got a team now that is able to strike really. I mean, the reasoning behind, uh, I can't find much reasoning behind why they might not be capable of uh, a deep playoff run and, and maybe even a Super Bowl, and, and which is a, a crazy thing to think about. And it's crazy to the untrained eye to see where they were five years ago and see where they are now. But a, a plan was implemented and a, uh, you know, and as you say, to see other teams doing it, uh, I, I, the Miami Dolphins did it, but they did it in like kind of hyperspeed. They yeah, they had some assets that they got rid of and, and got a lot back for. And then further on that, they um, you know, it, but it all comes back to the quarterback, right? I mean, it all comes yep. back to, is Tua the guy? Is Baker the guy? And uh, it, it's it's just it's without question the most important position in the sport. And the most important uh, investment, and uh, you know, as we're we're going to talk about, you know, we're coming up on Baker Mayfield needing a second contract, and so that kind of becomes where uh, you know teams team structures kind of change. But with nine point eight million in cap space in twenty twenty two, and and almost twenty million that could be rolled over or utilized this year, or some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Um, Cleveland's in a very good position. I mean, they could be at thirty point four million in cap space if they were to just merely roll over that cap space into next year. And then, speaking of Landry and o- Odell, those are two guys that you know could clear thirty million if both of them were released, fifteen million apiece, basically. So um, they have the and you know Kareem Hunt could be cleared for six point two five million next year too. Uh, Joel Petonio is he could clear for ten million, but we're we're not he's not going to get released or, or traded. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think. Right. But, but so the team has a ton of flexibility to enter this new stage of team building and um, you know, not they're going to face the same issues that other teams face when, when they pay a quarterback and a defensive end, a ton of money and potentially a cornerback as well. Um, but they, uh, they've, they've situated themselves nicely. Yeah, that, that's what gets interesting, uh, really. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you this uh, about that, uh, Zach. As far as before we get into Baker's potential extension here, it, there's they got he's got two years before the new money on his extension will hit, right? So is that – do the Browns need to look at that like a two-year window where they got a strike now because the total ability to build the team changes when that that new contract hits? Because there's, there's like, teams that 
you know, the way you build a team before quarterback money is on the books and then after quarterback money is on the books. And it seems to be rather restrictive at times. Yeah, that that is a main point of focus for me, right? <clears throat> With both books, um, you know, the the conversation starts with the quarterback. Uh, if you have a rookie contract quarterback, uh, you're in a position where you've got a guy getting paid. You know, I, I think it's like, uh, I mean, how much is Baker getting paid this year? Is it like a eight million, nine million type of thing? What what is he at? Um, no, no, no. He was a first overall pick, so he might be at uh, well, wh- whatever it is. I mean, I was I'm thinking about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's the number, the thing that jumps out to me, right? Lamar yeah. Jackson was a 32nd overall pick. And when you look at the Ravens and what they've been able to do uh, with him, he goes from a guy who's making like $2 million a year, but he's providing you 30, $32 million worth of value, right? Yeah. So you go from this scenario where you've got a rookie contract quarterback making, uh, making X amount of dollars and he's providing you uh, 3X, 5X, 10X the value, Yeah. right? Like that's kind of when, when I – so to bring it back, the first year that I started looking at this stuff was the year that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. And I said to myself, all right, you got a quarterback who cost a half percentage of the salary cap. And then simultaneously, the Seahawks at that time had spent the most out of any Super Bowl champion on their defensive line. They had spent about 27% of the salary cap on their D line. And they got a lot of value on the back end, on their defensive backfield as well. They drafted extremely well there as well. And then they had Russell Okun was making a bunch of money. They even had money wasted. They had money wasted on Zach Miller and Sidney Rice. And so I looked at the Russell Wilson contract and I said that this must be the mo- the biggest advantage in sports, which is having a competent rookie contract quarterback. And no question. You know, unfortunately for the Browns with Baker was the plan was, I believe, and I think this is the right plan. And this is how I, this is how I kind of, kind of saw it play out was that, Part of that Carson Wentz deal was, as a Browns fan, you know you drafted quarterbacks in the first round before. You right. drafted players to bad teams. And yeah. this team's still bad. So the, you have to build a team. And then what's ended up happening is Baker gets inserted into a team that is is on its way to being competent. The only problem what in that whole scenario is that increasingly so, over the course of my research, I recognized uh, the importance of the offensive coordinator, the most probably the most undervalued person within an organization in terms of how we perceive them. And so, I, you know, when I say I overlooked the coordinator, I understood a coordinator was important, but we all, I think, myself included, um, don't or haven't historically put enough value on that offensive coordinator. And I think that as a industry, uh, with people like Kevin Clark writing so eloquently about how Andy Reid. Um, you know, the, the magic that is what he does intellectually um, and what we know about Bill Walsh and just kind of extending on that, um, that, that a concept. And I, I even experienced it in martial arts, right? Like if you have a good coach, your coach has just programmed you to do things. An offense with a good coach has programmed that offense to run efficiently in ways that are probably above our level of uh, complex uh, understanding. And so with yeah. Baker – he went through uh, – who was the head coach's rookie year? Uh, Hugh Jackson. Right. Uh, yeah, he went through four coordinators in three years. Uh, pretty right. remarkable, yeah. This this is the conversation that we always used to have about Alex Smith, right? Is that yep. Alex Smith um, 
went through like seven coordinators in his first six or eight years. Mm -hmm. And then once we got him, you got to see him with Andy Reed. It was like, wow, like maybe this is who he always could have been. And, and, and it, you're looking for traits, right? You're looking for specific traits. When you're talking about an Andy Reed offense, you're looking for a guy who's accurate enough, who doesn't turn the ball over, who's mobile. Um, and, you know, to this, we, we, we speak and we see Baker with Kevin Stefanski. And also when I see Stefanski's offense and what he did with Minnesota, especially the year prior. Uh, and then you got, you know, two outside receivers in, in Landry and, and Odell, uh, two guys on the outside doing that. And then you add in Austin Hooper and you've got, you still got in Joku, right? And, and I mean, it's a, it's a offense with weapons. Everywhere. Yes. So, um, you know, he's now finally in a position where, you know, you would hope he'd be in from day one. But the problem with this experience was that, you know, a few years were wasted and now we're heading into when he's going to be more expensive. And now the team's also in a position where um, you've got to hope on, you know, he is the player that he was in the second half of last season in the second half of his rookie year with Freddie Kitchens. And, um, you know, we're talking about a guy who, because when you're talking about that extra money, that, that big, bigger money. And I, I talked to Jack Duffin before we spoke and, and he's like, I thought Mayfield might happen this off, off season, but when Dak got 40 million, um, you know, it, it, it becomes a whole nother equation. The, the market has now gone from 30 to 40 million in, yes. in, in a very short order. Uh, yep. in, a very, in a couple of years and we're in the middle of a time period too where even if you know I, I know that part of what's going on with the NFL and a lot of these professional sports leagues is, is the um, is the TV deals that they're about to get from a, a country that that we're not very friendly with um, and, and, and so they see that they see things increasing in a major way yeah. and so I think that's part of what this quarterback market is is is, is it, why it's going this way is it's the one spot where money just keep, seems to keep getting shoved into, yeah. um, which, but at that same time, that further makes that rookie contract quarterback even more valuable potentially. Yeah. If, if we're talking about now quarterbacks are $45 million dependent on the salary cap. I mean, the salary, you know, this is independent of the salary cap, no matter how much it goes up 45 versus 3 million or 8 million or 15 million or whatever. Um, becomes a really big difference. And, um, you know, Baker's on that cusp. So it, it, the, the team building strategies change, uh, but we're in, the, we're in a situation where there's so much that could happen in terms of, and we don't know what that TV deal look, could look like or what the other TV deals could, could look like. So uh, we could be looking at a different reality in a few years, but, but point still remains. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, Zach, that they, you know, they implemented a cap ceiling, right, for next yep. year. It's going to bump $25 million. We know that TV money is there, and we know from most reports that it's huge, right? It's huge yeah. money. So, yeah. you know, we saw the cap decrease because uh, of the pandemic, and there's this cap crunch season. But they had to put a ceiling on it already, I think, just to – and, and that's a $25 million jump, which is advantageous for teams like the Browns, right? And then, obviously, I think it'll probably go to that point or very close to it. And then, you know, just so that it all doesn't hit it once, right? Like it would normally in their equation of how, how they would figure that out. So, I mean, they came out with that already at like 208 or whatever, right? So, yeah, uh, that that's interesting that they did that already. Um you're watching All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest tonight, uh, Zach Morzek is a uh, 
writer at OverTheCab.com, as well as author of Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions, among many other things that we discussed. Uh, and you can check that out, uh, obviously, uh, um, by just going back about uh, 10 minutes and listening to all of his uh, ventures. Uh, now, let's uh, take a look real quick. We're going to dive into these extension talks, and I'll get a little bit into it here and get your opinions on these. And I just really want you to, Zach, just, you know – I know it's hard to do because you're going to have a Browns fan base reacting to this, but if you were the guy, what would you do? That's what I just want. You know, I mean, you're you're an expert at this stuff. You've really broken this stuff down. If you were the guy, you seem to have a real good grasp on, you know, where Mayfield's at and everything. Uh, so if you were the guy, what would you do? So let's start with Baker. Um, let's throw it out there. I'm going to give you some of my thoughts real quick on this, and we'll kind of bring up uh, some graphics here, but we'll start with, you know, our our, our thumbnail for our show here. Uh, and there it is of Over the Cap and author of Caponomics. So, so we're going to take a look here at some of the top paid quarterbacks, but you're right. I think $40 million is kind of like the bar now, right, since Dak came to the table. Yep. You've got – very impactful guys around Baker in Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. I think, you know, whoever goes first will kind of set what happens next, I think. Um, I don't think it behooves either side, the Browns or Baker, to want to get the deal done prior to this season. A, if I'm looking at it from the Browns' point of view – I want to see some more data points on Baker before I sign the deal. Yeah. If I'm looking at it from Baker's camp, I want that extra money that's going to be available next offseason. If you come to the table this year, I think the Browns could say, hey, you know, cap crunch year. You know, I know the new money's not till then, but maybe we try 35 or whatever. There could be savings if they go to the table now. But I think that paying a quarterback a ton of money is a good problem to have. So I'm okay with kicking the can one more year. The only thing that I'm curious about, and you can give your thoughts on this too, is how does that affect Baker mentally? Because 2021, I look at as part of this Super Bowl window the Browns potentially could yeah. have. They have a loaded roster after bulking up on the defense. I really think they have a shot to make a nice run this year if things came together well. Do you want Baker to feel like, oh, I'm signed, I'm the guy, I'm the guy of the future, or, oh, I'm the guy that needs to go out and prove it one more time for my deal? Which is better, which is optimal for this team's performance? Now, uh, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Baker Mayfield. Now, Baker Mayfield. having, having a, a, a chip on his shoulder has never not served him well. So the pressure of paying, playing, like that's what comes to mind with me is that, like, if anyone's sir, if anyone can deal with being told or, or feeling like you know whatever emotions that might come together of not getting that contract prior to whatever whatever they tell him for why they haven't signed him yet, if they're still trying to look more, I mean Baker might be able to read between the lines, but he he's the kind of guy that 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 uh, doesn't care. I mean, yeah, it'll drive him. On, yeah, you know, having a chip on his shoulder. And feeling like he has something to prove, it, it may be his best mode of operation, right? Like mentally, um, one of the great things about training uh, jujitsu is that, like, I get to be reminded of uh, the mental side of the sport and and the things that go into it, and chips on your shoulder, and and intellectually, and and all these, and just 
thinking back of, uh, you know, think about playing football and things like that and, and thinking of who Baker Mayfield is, having a chip on his shoulder. I'm a guy from Jersey. Like having a chip on your shoulders is, is, is sometimes a, a great, a great driver. And yes. um, I don't, I don't worry about him mentally. In that way. Yeah. yeah I don't, I, you know, I, I don't worry about him dealing with that mentally. Uh, we have seen a guy like Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco in 2012 won a Super Bowl wondering if they were interested in re-signing him. And, and he went out and played. And now, in a, mentally, I wouldn't put Joe Flacco in the same category as Baker Mayfield in terms of, like, that mental, like, gangster um, yeah. side to him, right? And, like, but you just brought up Lion quarterback Jared Goff. He's not – he's the Lions quarterback now. He's not the Rams quarterback. And that's for a reason – and and he's the name that came to mind when we were discussing when you, as you were saying, um, as you were saying, you know, do we sign him now? Do we sign him later? Because that's what you want to see more data points. Like like Jack said, forty million dollars per year is a lot of money. So yes. to see Jack at forty million, um, to see it jump all. The, I mean, thirty five versus forty is a big difference. It's a big difference with the uncertainty going on. Um, I, I have a feeling that the owners are a little bit more certain than we are about where this where this cap's going. Um, mm-hmm. Surely they ha- obviously have more information than us, and I, I think that uh, you know, I think that waiting and seeing more data points, considering that there have been times with Baker where he hasn't been what you would want to see out of a guy you're paying forty million dollars. Um, yeah, m- mostly 2019, right? So you've got, right. you know, you got his rookie year, which was generally pretty good for a rookie, breaks the rookie, pat- you know, touchdown record, yep. you know, and then 2019, all the hype, all the hoopla, and, and he really didn't play well, you know. Um, offensive coordinator, he, though. Right, yeah. It was absolutely. the same offensive coordinator from the year before, though, as well, but what changed? Maybe what changed was the fact that, uh, you know, an NFL defensive coordinator's got 12 months now on you or eight months to figure out what's going on, figure yeah. out what he wants you to do, what he doesn't want you to do. Um, you know, putting you in positions where he knows you're uncomfortable, putting Freddie kitchens in positions where he knows that Freddie kitchens can't deliver. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot there in 2019 that's, that might not necessarily be Baker's fault, which is, which, which lends credence to the case that it might be time to resign him. Right. Uh, agreed. But, yeah. Agreed. Right. So it, it, it's an interesting position to be in that, uh, you know, it's going to come down to obviously, you know, what, what these guys really think of him, uh, where they think he's going, uh, and, and what, what kind of, you know, how Kevin Stefanski feels about him. And, and I think that as an organization too, um, the fact that this is, this will only be year two together has a little bit more uncertainty as well um, that say that Kevin Stefanski ends up being a dud this year somehow. And, and it's, it's just a total, this year is a total wash. It's, it's your worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that worst nightmare is coupled with the fact that you've got uh, Baker Mayfield on a big contract with another new offensive coordinator. And, and rather than go back in and um, go back in and, and um, you know, get in, draft another quarterback. Type of thing. Yeah, because that that the uh, the other option out of this scenario, right, is say that you is the continuously drafting another quarterback scenario. Mm-hmm. It, once Baker Mayfield comes up on year four, maybe you trade him away. You draft another quarterback. Like that's the other formula: is that are we always drafting a quarterback in the first or second round? Obviously, one of the big things that I well, not obviously one of the big things that I 
and and obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, to any to anyone who watches the draft and things of that nature, um, you know, you you see it, you watch it. The probability of finding a quarterback after those first few picks, uh, finding that franchise guy, is a low percentage thing. So that ends up being the game that they're playing. Is that our is the probability of us finding a competent, good starter who's going to cost us very little money higher than the probability of us having success with this player that we're about to pay a lot of money. So um, with Baker, that that becomes a game. And because now Baker goes from being somebody who, by nature of being a competent starter, is worth $35 million in actual value to the organization while only getting paid X amount of dollars, right? And those, those become the game. Like over the cap has a valuation page. And on that valuation page, you can see how much value player X provided to his team. And, um, and uh, you know, that for those rookie contract players will be an, a surplus of value. And the, that's what teams are looking for. They're looking for a surplus. And that's why it's been so valuable to have Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and Baker Mayfield on the cheap the last few years. And that's what you saw last year. But now that, that changes where the drafting becomes all the more important because now all of these guys are all the more expensive. Yeah, you got to have yeah, – yeah, I mean, it's that seems like the main key is once he gets on this deal is you've got to draft well and you've got to have young guys performing, right? And the money has to perform, right? I always hear Chris yeah. say on his podcast, like, you know a team is, is playing well and doing well when the money is performing. And for the Browns, uh, you know, for the most part, that has been okay – Odell Beckham Jr. injury-wise, not yep. so much. But other than that, that's been okay. So, you know, ultimately, I'll be honest with you, Zach. I saw enough at the end of last year in the in the second two-thirds uh, of the season. Uh, I saw enough from Baker under Stefanski's system, and I really trust Stefanski. I think he is the proverbial adult in the room. I think he is top-notch play caller, top-notch leader of men. And I really think they got the right guy. And so, and he runs an offense that's ideal for Baker. So I'm good with signing it. Like I would do it this year, but it just, I just don't think they will. Where, what would you do? Would you, would you wait? And are you okay giving him $40 million a year? I use Dak as the comp because that's the most recent one. Uh, So his contract we can take a look at here. Would you be willing to give him a contract like this? I mean, for a team, the team has the cap space. And as, as we've said, like, I, I do think that the owners know a little bit more about that TV deal that's coming. Um, and, and I think that 40 million, if we're talking about comparables being Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. If, if the Ravens shell out a ton of money for Lamar Jackson, who, who, doesn't have the same ability to pass that I think Baker has. And like Lamar, the value Lamar at Lamar is such an interesting data point because the value he adds is kind of, I mean, obviously he's a great runner, right? And the value he also adds is that he makes the running backs more efficient because his ability to run opens up opportunities for the running back because now the defense has to deal with the fact that both guys can run Josh Allen, similar thing. Uh, we, we, Baker's mobile, but we don't, we don't see the same, uh, same thing. 
So say that Josh Allen goes out and he gets a deal worth 42, 43, $44 million a year. Part of the thing that ended up happening with Lee Steinberg got that 10 year, $450 million contract for, for, um, for uh, Patrick Mahomes and the market inc- that what ended up increasing the market past that Russell Wilson, 35 million number. And now everyone else is, everyone else is looking for, I want 40, I want 39. Um, yeah. And so now the numbers are just going to keep going. So are you saving, is the money you're saving worth, or the question is, is, do you, is there more you need to see that is worth the money that it's going to cost you? And I think from where you're sitting as someone who watched all 16 Browns games and feels comfortable making that statement, right? Like, you know, better about Baker Mayfield than I do. Right. So Mm -hmm. deferring to you on that, I agree with your assessment. And then that becomes, that becomes that question that you're asking yourself is, do we really need to see more to, to, to see how much further this thing could go up? Um, and we have the cap space and, and, the other thing is too is that I always I always talk about is that the great organizations are extending players early and they're also finding low cost free agents. It's not yes. just about drafting. Uh, one thing that Bill Belichick did, especially in those early or did and still does, we even saw this this off season when they went on a bit of a spending spree. But yeah. the spending spree was on the mid tier kind of players, good yes. players that weren't top of market because he always understood that the top of market free agents. We're on the market for a reason. Their team didn't want them. And not only did their team not want them, but they're the top of market talent. So someone's going to overpay them because yeah. somebody needs them desperately. You know, yeah. the, the, you know, just looking back at Nadamik and Sue is on the market with the lions and the two teams that wanted them were the Ravens and uh, not the Ravens, the Raiders and the dolphins, two organizations who weren't doing well at the time. So those are the kinds of organizations that then go out and they shell out the big money and um, you're now competing for that. So with Baker, um, you can get him at a little bit less money and uh, by extending him because the market isn't increasing. And if you make a guy wait, he's going to, he's going to say, well, you made me wait two years. Yeah. You made me wait two years. Now it's, now it's the market's at 48 million. Give me 50 million. Yeah. Who knows, who knows where it goes and, and from where, and also, um, philosophically as well, considering the cap space and, and what they've got and Baker Mayfield and what I feel like he is, um, he's gone through a few offensive coordinators and, and have proved competent. Jared Goff was, is a different case, right? Right. Like Jared Goff was horrific his, uh, his, his rookie year. Um, and then Sean McVay came in and it, it was probably more of the Sean McVay than the Jared Goff. And um, so he's a little bit different case, but it, it's good to kind of let all of these ideas swim around when you're when you're considering these things, because these are the things that the, the, the organization can be thinking about. Yeah. And you, it's interesting you mentioned that about Goff and, and you know, McVeigh, because the national narrative on Baker is, hey, Stefanski's offense really put him in a great situation to be successful. How could he not? not be successful with that running game, with that offensive line, with that style of offense that fits in perfectly. So more crediting the the environment around him than him. So that's the national narrative. I personally have seen enough. I do agree, though, that Andrew Barry 
and D. Podesta will want to wait just because of the caution. You know, they don't want to be get they don't want to get golfed or wenced, right? They want this to to happen in, in a right way, and I think that they're okay Both those with guys. Yeah. golf and wench. I mean, there's there's not one example now. There's two. Yeah, yeah. So I I think they they will be willing to wait to pay that uh, whatever that is. I think he's the guy regardless. I think, honestly, another year in this system under Stefanski, he may go out and earn himself a ton more money, yep. you know. So, and I think that's a good problem to have, though. So, Yeah, uh, Jack thought that let's see him repeat the second half of last season. Yes. So, you yes. know, and, and then so either at the end of this season or during a bye week would probably be the best time uh, to, to see that deal work out, right? Well, when's their bye week, right? Like, so – say bye weeks, week nine, week eight, whatever it is. Um, you've seen six, uh, seven or eight games worth of him. What do we got? What do we got? Week, week 13. Week 13, right? So you've seen now you've seen 12 games of him. Yeah. Um, that seems like a nice time to get that done. Or, I mean, you know, we've got KC, Houston, Chicago. You know, let's see him play out those first six games through Denver and, and see where he stands, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, that's something with Andrew Barry because we're learning about, you know, his tendencies. I know some GMs are fine doing a deal in the middle of the year and some just won't do it at all because they don't want to have the questions asked every week, right? So it's interesting, too, and we'll learn more about what he believes in. You know, he spent some time in Philadelphia uh, as well, so maybe that's kind of a data point you can look at to see what they have done in the past with extensions, but... Uh, it sounds like you'd be comfortable paying him this if he repeats somewhat of what he's done, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. This okay. is just, the, this is at some point you just have to give in to the market forces and, and recognize that you don't want to pay a guy $40 million, but that's just what it costs. And then yeah. you, you figure your way around it. And teams have gotten better and better about figuring out weight. I mean, teams really work their way around the cap. Uh, the Saints did it the entirety of, the second half of Drew Brees' career um, yes. and kept them in a place where they were competitive uh, on a yearly basis, which regardless yeah. of who your quarterback is, is a difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, no question. You know, they, they certainly have found a way. A number of teams have, you know, the cap gymnastics that we saw with all the void years and, and everything and the restructures this year was pretty amazing. Really, it, it was shocking to, you know, to see how teams just were able to make it happen and kick the can down the road. And I have a question about that for you later in the show, but uh, let's move on to Nick Chubb here. As running back is certainly an interesting topic of conversation. Here's, here's kind of where I'm at with it, and I'll let you tell me what you think. Nick Chubb is a special dude, right? I, I think he's the top three back running the ball in the league. Yep. Uh, and I think that um, he has been an, he is an ideal guy in the locker room like nobody works harder you know he never has anything to say he's just head down work 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 and he's a a special back and a lot of people will say you can go draft another back that could do the same thing behind this offensive line that may be true to a certain extent but everybody says you shouldn't pay these guys these extensions running backs these extensions but at the same time, Zach, everybody does. I can't yeah. think of one example of a team, no matter how much it's preached that you shouldn't extend running backs, I can't think of one example of a team that didn't extend a star running back. Yeah, that's very funny. You're right. You're right. I mean, it just seems like everyone does it. Uh, yeah. There's an example right there, though. 
he's on the Denver Broncos now. He's not in the Chargers. There's Melvin Gordon. Melvin right. Gordon. One, there's one guy, right? And yeah. so when we talk about Chubb. Uh, then the guy who came to mind for both of us right away is an easy comp because he's not much of a pass catcher or at least uh, not much of a pass catcher, at least in terms of strategy. Um, you know, Derek Henry, right? Oh, like you're right Derek Henry, Nick Chubb. Uh, I mean, that's, that's basically what you're looking at. And so the team asks themselves, is it worth 12.5 million a year to continue to have this guy as your running back? Um, and these are the questions. So when you have that question, right, the questions that you then ask are, are, do we still have a great offensive line? Do we have a great offensive line? Um, do we have any guys coming up on deals that we won't be able to sign because we've paid Nick Chubb? And would we rather spend that money on the offensive line? Now, the problem for running backs is that because of the nature of their position, and this is one of my main issues that I had um, with the with the CBA negotiations, was that like, uh, there was a change um, in terms of the franchise tag. The franchise tag now, there was a change in terms of Pro Bowls. Like there was a Pro Bowl yeah. escalator, right? Here's 22 projection. It's low for running backs, right? It's 12. Whatever it's going to be for running backs, it's going to be low, right? Like, yeah, it's like, And part of the deal with signing a new contract is that, and this is my problem with the franchise tag, is that the difference between the franchise tag and between that and then signing a contract in which you get um, you get uh, a signing bonus and you get first year money. Like the difference between the money is, is substantial. Like you could you could sign a signing bonus and get a salary, and your year one money could be seventeen million, right? So you got like a sign. You got, say you got like a ten million dollar signing bonus, and you got paid seven million, whatever it is. Like it could be seventeen yeah. million, it could be fifteen million. But then instead you're on a franchise tag that's paying you ten or twelve million. What happened? Yeah. Whatever it is, and that's my main issue with that. And then because the running back position is the one that gets hammered the most, uh, yeah. because everybody knows a running back ages poorly. In my um, the way I think about it too is that I think wide receivers don't age that well either. On average, I think there's a yes. few outliers. I also think there's a few outliers at running back. Adrian Peterson is is not great anymore, but he's competent. Um, you know, Reggie Reggie Wayne played a long career. Um, you know, they're, they're the guys that, that, that have that extensive career into their thirties Anquan Bolden there. There are these guys, but um, for Frank all Moore. these people, yeah. I do <clears throat> think that most athletes um, don't age that well. I mean, <laughs> the average, the, the, I looked across for the second book, I looked across various sports and the age, like the, the peak age is like 23 to 28. Right. And, and that's just that's just kind of an estimate. It's not the same for everyone. It's a general number. But then you look at running backs. Now, we, Nick Chubb came into the league a little bit later, 23 years old. Um, even if you're young, uh, you're getting beat, beat up and it's the most brutal position. And it might be the most brutal position in all sports. When you consider what a running back does, who he does it against, they don't people in MMA don't fight people at different weights. Running backs yeah. are running into 300-pound people at full speed. They're running into 250-pound linebackers. It's a hard position. And Nick Chubb will be 26 this season. They could tag him at the end of the year, and then he's 27 years old in that season. Then they tag him again in 28 years old. But this is kind of the war that Le'Veon Bell found himself in. It's kind of the battle that the Carolina Panthers wanted to avoid. So it comes down to do you want to start a fight with your running back? Or do you want to just pay him? Yeah. And 
The thing about the scenario we're talking about, and when you look at uh, Christian McCaffrey, and um, you know, you can you can structure the contract where, from a cap perspective, there's not much difference, but you're set, you're spending a lot of money. It's that front yes. end money, right? Like Christian McCaffrey is getting paid how much more than he would have gotten paid on this deal in terms of real money, right? Like now he's at $60 million a year, but then we're talking about these things not working out. Christian McCaffrey has not worked out in year one. Yeah. Right. So we're Dalvin cook. It worked out for them this year. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott didn't work out. Alvin Kamara working. working out, but that's, we're just getting started on that contract. Right. Like, so, um, you know, you see, and you see a drop off here too. It's 16, 15, 15. Then it goes down to 12.6. I mean, I think that that's really more so where that market is. And if you yeah. were to sign a contract there, we're, we're talking about something that, um, that, that suits him much more. And from a team perspective, they have the argument, right? The argument is Derek Henry, not much of a, you know, you're not much of a pass catcher. What ends up hurting, um, you know, uh, is that, uh, you know, if Nick Chubb was more of a passer, he's not going to take that kind of argument. Uh, more of a pass catcher, he's not going to take that kind of argument. Alternatively, now Christian McCaffrey had over a thousand receiving yards the year prior to last year. If you Correct. can tell me, if you're going to tell me that you can get a, a running back who's also going to get a thousand yards receiving, and you're only going to have to pay him sixteen million dollars when the wide receiver market is far past that, that's yep. a, I, I can't fault you for doing that. Yep, I understand I the logic behind. I understand the logic behind Alvin Kamara. I understand the logic behind Ezekiel Elliott, although at the time that that deal is 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 still higher than the market, the rest of where the rest of where the market is right now. So um, I, I don't I don't fault you for signing Christian McCaffrey, but um, you know it, it, this is how the running back game is, and um, I guess it's a good problem to have, right? I mean, you're you're happy you've got a good running back. And, and without question, Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the league. Yeah, so here's how I look at it, right? Uh, and, and great points on all of these guys, right? Especially the McCaffrey point. I mean, that if he's going to catch for 1,000 yards and rush for 1,000 yeah. yards and you're getting $16 million you know, a year, that's a steal, right? Yeah, so, it might, it, uh, it's a steal, yeah. Yeah, so here's why I bring up the Derrick Henry deal. It's recent. It's very recent, yeah. and, and they're very similar players. Um, and I think that, and as you've mentioned, the running back market has kind of bottomed out a little bit. Like, yeah. okay. It's like, this deal is not four years for 50 million. The actual deal is two years for 25 million. Right. So if you look at it that way, cause that's the guaranteed money, right? There's yep. an out after two years. So two years, 25 million. And, and the franchise tag is twelve million. Why haggle over twelve million? It's the same. It's the same price. You're paying the same price. You're just giving him one extra year of guaranteed money. So yep. why not sign him to that deal that looked big and fat, four years, fifty million? But in reality, you can get out after two years should something happen, and you're giving him one year of security. And he's had a lighter load in the NFL. Even last year, he only ran for like 250 carries because he was dinged for a little bit. And Kareem Hunt is taking a big load off of him. So I don't, and he's still signed to a contract. So I have no problem with this deal. This deal to me is like it avoids the franchise tag problem. 
I think he's going to be a good back for another two, three years, and that's what this does. This gets you through 2023 with him, and then you're out with no dead cap on, on, on your deal. And I think there's no problem with that. Yeah, I think that um, that's a deal that might end up coming right after the season. Um, Agreed. Agreed. You know, yeah. uh, Jack, Jack thought the same thing. Um, you know, it, it's probably a guy that um, – you know, the, when you sit down and negotiate with someone like that, right, you're like, all right, we're either going to tag you or we're just going to – we'll just give you this same deal as you perfectly uh, described, like, or we just give you the same deal that's basically two franchise tags. Whatever yeah. two franchise tags is um, in the first two years, we'll give you that, and then we'll add on two years, and it doesn't really matter. Um, if you're good, then you're, you're probably going to be a discount for us at that point because the cap may have gone up. A ton, yeah. not a discount, yeah. but you know you're a good value at that point. Yeah, if you're still playing well, great. You know, we'll take if you for not, third year. Yeah, if you're not, then then you know you've made twenty five million dollars to uh, retire on and and uh, figure out how to take care of your knees and your back. <laughs> you no know? question. You know, no question. Yeah, I see. I think I think that's you know I think that Tennessee was smart for that deal. I mean, we watched Aaron Jones take. I mean, he's on this list here. But he took twelve million, one year guaranteed. Zach, I mean, he, he yeah. basically took a franchise tag, but in a deal form. So yeah. you know, I, I just uh, you know to avoid having to go through all that. So I, I think that this is something that because of where the market is at, the Browns are in a good position to offer a deal just like this and be fine with it. I have no problem with doing that. Do you see any downfall to that? No, I mean. You know, as we discussed too, is that say that you decide on Chubb and not Hunt. Hunt is cuttable next year. Um, you know, say that say that you decide to go and because I mean, it, part of the question comes down to how do you feel about who's the third guy in the room right now for you uh, with the running backs? Uh, I think it's the kid they drafted out of UCLA, Demetric Felton. Okay, yeah. So I mean, you've also already built in your, especially if you drafted him. What round did they draft him in? late uh seven six yeah yeah so the probability of him turning into something just based on the numbers of where he was drafted it are a lot of people say you can wait to draft a running back and 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 um you don't need to draft him the first few rounds uh from some of the data i've seen yeah you know like from some of the data i've seen i've seen that like you know a lot of early round draft picks at running back are difference makers and yeah. a lot of the best guys are the earlier round guys. Like Nick Chubb's a second round pick, top of the second round too. Yeah. Um, that was the year that they got. Um, was that the year they drafted Garrett? Uh, I believe it was the same year that they got uh, Mayfield, and Ward. Mayfield, Ward, and Chubb all in the same year. Uh, and they got a they got a guard that year too, right? Yeah, Dorsey's draft. It was his probably his best draft. Yeah. Did the guard work out? Uh, no, but he starts uh, Corbett, Austin Corbett, any place he's uh, on the Rams. He starts for the Rams offensive line now. Okay, so he he ended up being a good guy too. Anyway, but uh, that's yeah. an impressive first four. But um, but yeah, with 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 Chubb, like again, second round pick. That list of guys that you had, um, Aaron Jones is a late round pick. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a third round pick. Um, you know, McCaffrey first, Elliott first, Cook second, uh, Henry Henry was a. First or second? What was Henry? He was high. Yeah, he was up there. I mean, he, he was up there somewhere. Joe Mixon was a second or third. Melvin Gordon was a first. 
like Saquon Barkley was a first. Uh, now, but when we get to the end, bottom there with Saquon Barkley, he, you know, he was he's still in the contract he was drafted on a rookie deal. Yeah, but but we're talking about a lot of these top paid guys, a lot of these top guys in the NFL, uh, pr- producing wise, are earlier picks. So when we hear about a seventh round pick, the probability of him taking over for Chubb isn't very high. So it leaves you in a position where if they want to continue to have this organ, this team, the same way it is currently. Um, you know, with the same kind of quality at running back, uh, then then re-signing Chubb will be a necessity. And as we saw with the Bucks, and what we talked about, um, some of the ability to to do this cap cap maneuvering. Um, yeah. You know, the the Browns could move on and and uh, can, could manage that. Uh, could manage keeping that organization together. Most of these guys. Yeah. Cap, cap gymnastics, right? Yeah, they, they, right. they can figure out a way. If, if, if you want to, uh, in many cases, you can figure out a way unless something crazy like this year happens, uh, yes. which, you know, is part of probably what got Julio Jones sent to Tennessee. Yes, definitely. Uh, we had to sign the uh, sign, uh, rookie uh, rookie class, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, they couldn't even sign the rookie class, I don't think. All right. right. So. Right. Uh, let's uh, move on here. You're watching All Eyes on Cleveland with very special guest Zach Moore of Over the Cap and author of Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions, breaking down all things Browns. Uh, we're going through the extensions right now. Real quick, uh, look, so so Ward has had his fifth year, just like Baker's, had his fifth year option picked up, first round pick, right, four overall, uh, same year. So if he's had, this is his going into his... Uh, fourth season, uh, but he has that fifth season already picked up. Uh, here, you know, we look at Ramsey at twenty-one million, Humphrey at nineteen-five. Uh, you know, if you, I have some comps on here, but just just for you, evaluation-wise, who would you comp him to as a guy on this board? Uh, I mean, on that board, I, I'd comp him to the guys in that $14 million range or, or you know, Xavier Howard is a guy that came up okay. with Jack, Jack, Jack thought that, um, you know, in terms of injuries, uh, right. Like Denzel Ward hasn't put together, has he put together a full season? No, he's, he's, that's part of the problem, right? He's right? not, uh, he has not been durable, uh, but he is when he has played, he has been elite. And, and as you meant, you know, we talked about before, positions of higher value i think cornerback is a yep. position of high value and if you can get an elite one you gotta hang on to him now i i want to see him go play 14 i mean 17 game schedule zach i just want to see him play 14 games this year and i would be happy hey. and feel much better about signing him hey i mean he got to 13 his rookie year and then 12 and 12. Right. So, I mean, 14, right. 14 is a step forward. Um, yeah. I think that I remember that rookie year, him being one of the top guys in the league, him, him, not maybe not being that top of the top of the food chain cornerback yet, but him illustrating that he's a guy that you're going to want around for 10 years. Yeah. Um, something like that. Right. And like, so uh, as Jack thought that once he illustrates, um, you know, injuries didn't stop Howard from getting paid by the Dolphins, so it shouldn't stop Ward being paid either. And at that point, we're looking at a, a, a market that's now at $21 million versus 15, which is, which is uh, you know, that's a market that has rapidly increased in the last few years. Now, Byron Jones, that was a market-setting deal just last year, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
So there's a couple of deals here I got for you. You know, here's the here's an even further breakdown from uh, overthecap.com. But uh, as we, we kind of look at, this gives you an idea, uh, a little bit more of the guaranteed money and stuff. But uh, here's a couple comps. I have I have two, one a little higher and one a little lower. The I have you know once again the most recent deal, and then there, this White. is Tre'Davious White right here. This is not the most recent deal, but Tre'Davious White's deal is here and he was at uh as we just saw he's at 17.3 his contract is rather complicated if you dig in to the ins and outs of it uh but like they should with ward they've incentivized playing uh in games right yeah. as a lot of it so that would be a part of ward's deal as well question is would you pay 17 million dollars for him um i think to be determined kind of right yeah. Yeah, this is one of those. This is one of those um, probably at the end of the season type things. He got they got one more year with him with that fifth year option. So that yeah. he seems to be the kind of uh, he's even more wait and see than Baker. Yeah, uh, I think right. Like, uh, yeah, and especially how do you feel about you know the the defensive backfield right now? Uh, who who got signed this offseason? And then Grant Delpit comes back from he he was injured last most of last year. Was that so, all? So they addressed it. So they addressed their defense huge this offseason. So, the, I mean, they went from their, their defense backfield literally as they made that playoff run last year was guys that should not have been on the field. And it's pretty amazing that they were doing it. They were like third string practice squad players on the field playing corner at times. Uh, so they really went for depth this year. They signed uh, and probably and I talked about this for a long time before it happened and it, it came true. But. I thought that signing the best nickel corner you can, because it's not like a high-paid position, but it's a high-impact position, uh, is a good way to get better cheap in the secondary, yes. and they did that. They got Troy Hill from the Rams. So then they signed uh, Don Johnson, the safety. So they got two-fifths of the best secondary in the league from the Rams. And then they brought in... Uh, uh, at cornerback, they dr also drafted uh, their first round pick, Greg Newsom, uh, from Northwestern. So, and and then they get Greedy Williams back from injury and Grant Delpit back from injury to LSU guys that both missed all of last season. So, with you add all those guys in with the guys that are there, you would think they would be deeper. And investing a first round pick this year kind of gives you an option with Ward a little bit too. It, it, what you just described to me is, is an is an ability to to get out of the Denzel Ward if it doesn't work out. Um, yeah. You know, if 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 he is the player that you want him to be, then you then you sign him. But right. yeah. you know, what you hit on too. So uh, before I get into that, you know, you've clearly got there's now depth at cornerback. If if you spent a first round pick, you can probably guarantee that you can't guarantee it, but there's a high probability of that guy being competent. Right. If you draft anyone in the first round, there's a high probability that guy's going to jump in and be competent right away. Greedy Will, uh, Greedy Williams is back. Uh, Grant Delpit's back. Two additions in the secretary, secondary as well. And, and what you uh, said about Troy Hill is super important. The second thing that I, uh, and in the second book, what I kind of sorted out was that, uh, was that two positions that I feel are undervalued are linebacker and safety. And they're undervalued for two reasons. We look at cornerbacks 
as the people who cover pass catchers. They're not the only people that cover pass catchers. No right? doubt. Number one. Number two is when we're talking about people who cover pass catchers in terms of like a cornerback, a cornerback's not a very good tackler. So when I think of spending $20 million on a cornerback, I'm, I'm now spending $20 million in the hopes that he shuts down his side of the field or who he's against yes. the entire game. That can be super valuable if someone does that. Um, but what I like about the investment in a safety and a linebacker is that they're less expensive and they're better tacklers. And the game, it's, it's tackle football. Tackling yeah. is the most important thing, blocking and tackling, right? Like I, I forget, it, was, it wasn't a football book, but I was reading someone talk about like just basic first principles of anything. And the first principles of the sport of football are tackling. And yeah. so to invest in safeties and invest in linebackers. But then, as you said, you got, you got your uh, slot cornerback as well. Um, he's not going to have the same skill set in terms of his ability to um, his ability to tackle like a linebacker or safety. But, um, you know, the, the, the defensive backfield has gotten considerably better uh, this offseason and may s- stop the need to go out and spend $18 million, $20 million on Denzel Ward. Uh, it's yeah. We have such large questions about his health. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, and you nailed it when you said it there. It feels like they have prepared themselves to, yeah. if they need to, you know, even invest like a mid-round pick if they had to in the future or next year and move on should they not. Because here's one thing I'm concerned about, right? Denzel Ward's a Cleveland kid, and, and this was brought up to me on a podcast oh, I did, actually. Yep. Uh, last night, yeah, he's from Cleveland, went to Ohio State, spent his whole life in in Ohio. And Jared Mueller from the Browns Wire was on my show last night, and he said he kind of got the feeling like him and his camp and his family might kind of want to spread their wings a little bit. And they have a real high... I I can see him asking for like $20 million and the Browns being like, no, man, we can give you 17 or 16, but if you want 20... Like, I think he views himself as a lockdown corner regardless. He may come to the table and negotiate that. And the fact of it is, if he gets to the open market, somebody will probably give it to him, Zach. So, I mean, honestly, he, he may be have right for doing that. So, so waiting waiting a year, like, yeah. say you don't sign him right now, and then he has uh, whatever he's going to make next year. Yeah. Uh, the number four overall pick, fifth-year player option. Um, that was what was tied to Pro Bowls too. Is that the fifth-year player option is tied to Pro Bowls? That's the one that's tied to Pro Bowls, not the franchise tag. The fifth-year player option, if you make a Pro Bowl, you get escalated to some other uh, yeah. number, right? And I, I'm not sure if that's the same for one through ten. I think it might be for the guys that are drafted after tenth. Uh, the, the Pro Bowl thing. I, yeah. I, I forget the, the the breakdown of that, but um, but yeah, like you're talking about a guy who really could see that kind of money. Cause as we said, somebody needs, like I, I mentioned the Dominican Sioux and the Raiders and the Dolphins, some team that's, you know, not like feels like they're for whatever reason, feels like they're just a cornerback away and they want to spend a ton of money and they're not a very yeah. good organization. Um, you know, and what you just, what we are describing right now though, as you were talking about it, which I think is a, the exciting point to communicate to Browns fans is that the things that they're doing now are the things that good organizations do. They have a player coming up on free agency in a couple of years, and he's at a super important position. 
all right, let's go draft a, a first-round cornerback. It, it, what the Vikings did when they everyone thought they had a ton of cornerbacks and they drafted somebody um, who was also a punt returner. Uh, I, I don't recall his name at the top of my head. It was just a couple years ago. Um, but uh, I think it was a kid from UCF. And they drafted a cornerback when people thought they were deep at cornerback. And then suddenly they weren't so deep at cornerback. Yeah. Like, so yeah. then they got Xavier Rhodes isn't there anymore. And, and uh, you know, uh, is Trey Wayne still there? I think Trey Wayne moved on as well. But yeah, Trey yeah. Wayne is somewhere He's else. He's on the list. He went someplace else, I think. Yeah, yeah, there he is right there. Trey Wayne's with the Bengals, right? Yeah, I, I knew he was in the mid, uh, Midwest. Um, yeah. So so it's uh, – and then you now you're on to the, you know – and now the, the guy that you drafted to a group that you thought was very deep now is, um, you know, he's, he's now your, your number one guy, you know, and, yeah. and so uh, Browns are do the Browns are doing things the right thing. And that's one of the important things too, is that the first round, first round pick should probably only be utilized on very specific positions outside of a special case. Yep. I agree. Makes a lot of sense. You make some really good points there, Zach. You're watching All Eyes on Cleveland, special guest Zach Moore. Let's get to a really interesting case here, and then and then we'll kind of wrap things up with a couple questions I have for you. You've been fantastic so far, Zach. Uh, let's look at Wyatt Teller. So Wyatt Teller, uh, do you know the story behind Wyatt Teller? So he was Break a it fifth down, round. Man. Yeah, he was a fifth round pick to the Buffalo Bills. He was there. Uh, the Browns' right guard wasn't working out. It was actually Corbett, I think, the guy that we talked about that was with the Rams now. But he wasn't working out as they expected. And uh, mid-season or early in the season, maybe like uh, – I think it was mid-season even or like early in the season, maybe mid-camp, uh, he went out and signed – Dorsey went out and traded a fifth-round pick for the fifth-round pick, Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Teller, who was like their backup guard at the time. He came in to the Browns, first year, kind of sat the bench, played a little bit. Well, they brought in, obviously, they have the best offensive line coach in the game now, the Browns do. And and he came in and went out this year and got – it was PFF's best guard in football. And a couple of publications have named him the best offensive lineman in football this year, right? So, like – he blew up like he had a tremendous year this year. So he from fifth round pick being drafted overall to being traded for a fifth round pick to in 2020 having a career year where like now they're talking about him getting top value guard money as his contract will be up at the end of uh, this year. So the question is, do you sign him? He's only 26 years old, right? So if he goes out and repeats this, nobody was talking about signing him now, but if he repeats that kind of a year where it looks like he is that good again, and I think he will, I don't think it was a fluke by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the tape doesn't lie, right? So, I mean, he is probably going to command a good amount of money. Uh, so we have two contracts to look at. The one you brought up with me, Ali Marpet. This was a comp I saw a couple publications put out. Uh, you know, he got five years of $54 million, which is like 11 a year, I think, uh, about, yeah. And then, yep. um, and then the, the most recent contract and the biggest contract is Joe Tooney at left guard, and he got, uh, what, 16, I think, a year. Uh, so 
where where is it? Uh, I'm losing losing my mind here. Yeah, right there. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, 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 right there. So uh, yeah, it's 16 a year, uh, and, and I mean, yeah, 16 a year. There it is. So it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, I'm all for this guy is a absolute animal in my opinion, and I would tell you this in my opinion, and you tell me what you think. Batonio and Treader. First of all, Batonio is a great guard, and Treader's a terrific center, right? But they both are 30 years old or 29 and going to be 30 years old, and both of their contracts have no more guaranteed money on them. So if they were to walk away, they can walk away, you know, no dead cap. Uh, so I would pay Teller and go away from one of these guys if I had to. And, and to be honest... It's irked me a little bit, and you can maybe speak on this, but with the whole NFLPA thing, and Tracy Treader is the president of the NFLPA now, uh, and it, it costs the Browns and OTAs. I mean, right? I mean, they, you know, it's been a mess because he's the president and he's on the team, and that is always kind of a pain in the ass, right? When the president is on your team, uh, I mean that that I think doesn't pl plays into it a little bit too. He's been a great player. Don't get me wrong; he's played hurt a ton of games, hasn't missed a game. He's been tremendous. I love J.C. Treader, but having him be the president and talk about staying away from the facility and all that crap this year was not great and not a lot of fun when he's on your roster. Bro, uh, so you're telling uh, me, man, when I when I heard him complaining and scared about COVID, I was like, bro, we've been rolling. We we didn't take a day off. And I'm yeah. like, you are a professional football player, man. Like, don't tell yeah. me about you. You can't be at the at, at the facility. Um, well, well, then Jawan James. That. Yeah, I mean, then Jawan James gets hurt, right, and and, and loses his guaranteed ten million dollars uh, from the Broncos because he was working out at the facility and went and worked away from the facility because the players association is telling him to, yep. how is that in their best interest? Right? Yeah. Like yeah. I know it's a battle for control for them yeah. and it's like a pushback against the ownership, but I don't think it really affects ownership. You're, I don't think they give a shit if you're there or not. Uh, I think it's the play. It's the coaches that care. It, uh, so, it yeah. illustrates a, um, this battle for control over like organized team activities illustrates. Um, I mean, I get it. It's a job now. Um, but we've got, you know, I, I don't, I don't really have any time or sympathy for, for that line of thinking for that from them. Right. Like it's like practices for football players are easier than ever. Like I, I don't, I don't mean to say football is easy, but yeah. you know, the, the contact has decreased. Um, they've made a bunch of uh, concessions in terms of um, what players do. And, and I get that you don't want to do organized, teams act organized team activities and here and there. Um, it didn't serve the players. And, and, and from a perspective of the fan base, like a, a bunch of people who have been going through this thing together for the last 16 months don't want to hear some football player talk about how uh, under disprivileged he is for having to go work. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people who would love to do the work that he has to do. And so, um, I, I, I what you're talking about is, uh, is music to my ears. Uh, yeah. I agree with you completely. I don't think, I don't think they get rid of them because of the amount of cap space they have, but it does leave them options. So yeah. it, it, what, what this means is that they have a decision potentially 
of which of these three players, which two of these three players do we want to keep? Right. And that's the, that's, that's what you're bringing up is that we're not going to get rid of Shredder and Batonio maybe, but we are, or for that matter, Odell and Landry or Odell, or maybe one of those four guys doesn't have a good year. I mean, the NFL is your, you have to prove yourself every single week, every single year, because next year is not guaranteed in every other sport or to sometimes it is guaranteed depending on where you are in your contract. But in every other <laughs> yeah. sport, right. Like in every other sport, the money you sign for is the money you get. So to keep earning the money that you sign for, you have to hold up your end of the bargain to, uh, unfortunately, um, and that's unfortunate as well, though. I mean, as much as I, I, I like that, that you have to keep proving yourself, that's, that's great. But it is also unfortunate that players have to keep doing that. But, um, yeah, but it, it, it puts the team in a position where if Teller is who he was last season, which it's hard to, for a, a, a great season on the offensive line to be a fluke. Um, although is it partially, you know, the offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, making him look better. Um, yeah. And the system. Yeah. That's what some people brought up. Yeah. Potentially, but, but what did he teach him that lives on with him forever now? Correct. Yeah. I, I just don't see it as a fluke, Zach. I just can't yeah. imagine. I mean, he to me, he just is a mauler, and he's perfect for for a zone run scheme. Even the, even their gap schemes, he was tremendous in. Uh, you know, I just think he's he's a player on the rise. He's twenty six. I'm I'm just saying, I'd rather sign him. Yeah. And pay him. Pay him more. You know, Ali Marpet is the comp here, right? But I would even pay him more than him. 13, 14, 15, You know, you 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 get to determine if you sign him this year. You get to determine far more what his value is versus next year. And also, we're talking about franchise tags, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. we're talking about Chubb, and we're talking about now, we're talking about Teller. Um, we're talking about the tags. So, they're, they're both tag options. And so, yeah. if you can get one of those guys signed and dealt with so that you can threaten the tag with the other guy, essentially. Because I, I look at the tag as a threat. The tag is a threat. Like, hey... We're going to give you a weapon. Yeah. You know, we're going to give you 10 million rather than 15 in cash. Right. So, um, you know, getting one of these guys signed, um, you know, again, talking to Jack, Jack didn't, doesn't think that, uh, doesn't think they pay him elite guard money. But I, I mean, if you're going to pay anything elite money after quarterback, um, the offensive line is is a good place for me. And it almost, would you rather spend that money on a tackle than a guard? Yeah, but if you've got a guard who you can get for $14, $15 million um, versus the tackles are now, you know, above $20 million a year. So, um, you know, these are just the market rates now. And um, if you have a mauler who looks like he's going to be great. And what I was saying about Callahan, too, is that once you learn technique, that technique doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that, uh, I think that he, the future's bright for him. And the nice thing is, too, Zach, is they have guys behind these guys. Like Nick Harris is like a built – they're built-in backup center, like ready to take over when Treader does move on. And they have some guys that they've drafted. They drafted James Hudson this year, and they have some other guys on the roster on the offensive line who have been working under Callahan who – when got called into duty last year, performed really well, 
when guys got hurt or dinged, they could probably fill in. You know, I love Batonio, don't get me wrong, but I would rather play a 26-year-old teller $16 million than pay Batonio $10 million to stick around at age 30. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that um, with that premise um, and, and the fact that moving on and, and from an older guy and, and going with the younger guys is, is probably always a, a smarter move, it, especially – when you talk about dead cap space too, um, let's think about assets, right? Like yeah. those four guys we talked about releasing, they're also tradable. Like yep. the Browns currently have a draft pick in each round, uh, an extra fourth and an extra seventh. Um, when you think about seventh round picks, don't just think about, or like a later fifth, sixth, even a fourth. Don't just think about it in the context of what they're going to draft with that. Think about it as what they package with something else to move up in the draft. Those later round picks are are great pieces of a package to trade with someone who's like, yeah, we'll take an extra seven. We want to take another shot in the dark. We know the probability is low that we'll find a guy. But if you want to move up four picks to get the guy you wanted, um, we'll do it for you. And yeah, the, I mean, the, that's a great point. Uh, I mean, I didn't even think about that, but that's a great point. Somebody rebuilding their offensive line who wants a, an all-pro guard like Batonio at age 30 for $10 million, which doesn't look like a ton of money too. at this point. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you can trade them and get a, you know, a fifth or some, whatever, you know. So that's a really good point, Zach. I didn't even think of that. So it, it, Those late-round picks, that's what they're for, in my yep. opinion. They're, they're yeah. for the shots in the dark, though, too, but like – Principally speaking, when you're thinking about like a fifth or sixth round pick and you're getting one of those back or something, that might turn into, you, you know, you hear stories about it. Like, uh, I don't recall, but like uh, what ended up happening with this one, but like Clayus Campbell got traded for a few picks. And then I, I, I remember, I believe that some of those picks were then packaged with something else that then became something else. So, so it's similar to the Carson Wentz trade where it's like the Carson Wentz picks that they got became like 10 picks. Like there were like four picks or three picks that they got that became 10 or 12 picks. So those 10 or 12 picks then became for the Browns, they became cheap labor, 10 or 12 guys on the roster that you drafted. So you were fielding a competent and at least team that won one game or was fairly, wasn't competent, but it was, it didn't look like you were putting out a, a a high school team uh, (laughs) undrafted free agents, right? Like, yeah. So, so it, 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 uh, it, it becomes a very, um, you know, everyone has a purpose. Every, every asset in the sport, late round pick, early round pick, uh, older guy that you want in the room to teach your younger guys how to build a good offensive line, everything, every asset has a value. No question. No question. You're absolutely right. Great stuff. Uh, good Good stuff on all this extension stuff, Zach. You're, you've been outstanding. I've got uh, one more question for yeah. you, man. Uh, let me uh, bring this down here. Uh, all right. There we go. Thank you, Mikey. All right. So we're going to – let me ask you this. Uh, the teams that – you know, we, we talked about this cap crunch here a lot. And what surprised me, Zach, is that the Kansas City Chiefs of the world and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the world, your Super Bowl teams, who looked like they were up against it, were able to keep everybody, right? They were able to keep everybody, and they're running it back pretty much with everybody, with the exception of maybe a guy here or there. And they did this, you know, 
with what I'm learning more and more and kind of learned really in this cap crunch crunch year is that if you want to get something done as an NFL team, there's a, there's a way to do it. Like there's a way to kick the can down the road and do it, restructure, void years, whatever it is. Right. And, but will it come back to bite them at some point? Everything comes back to bite someone eventually. Right. In some capacity, if you're, if you're, if you're not taking your responsibility, like, like, right, like yeah, kicking the hand, can down the road with any problem. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, not just football, right? Like, hey, yeah. I got a drinking problem. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> right, like, I'll, I'll deal with it ne- next month. Um, but then next month comes and you're like, damn, like, I'm drinking more than I was before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, no doubt about it. Yep. Right, like, so, um, yeah, a problem always comes. Uh, but they wanted to keep a core together that they got them there. And, and th- those problems end up being where at some point we're going to have a conversation about the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes or the Buccaneers without Tom Brady when, when he's gone. And, and there's going to be a year or two or three or four or whatever where things have um, – they don't have anything around them, right? Like Patrick Mahomes might find himself in a position when Travis Kelsey is gone, when Tyreek Hill is – um, not as explosive, you know, when he's 30 years old and he suffered some knee injury along the way that just takes a, a, a step off. Like the, one of the things that people don't understand, uh, all of us don't understand, is that that little ankle injury or that little knee injury, that player that we thought was coming back a week later never is that player again um, or never finds that again because the – the the level of competition is so high. Um, the the people that they're going up against are so elite um, that a loss of a, a second, a loss of a, a step, or a loss of whatever, you know, can can make that make the make a world of difference. So both organizations were able to keep the core together and 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 kick the can down the road, and 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 that 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 problem ends up coming back at some point. Um, but this, it won't be this year and it might not be next year. Uh, It might be the year after that. It might be the year after that. But, um, but at some point those, those problems become, and and when we talk about void years too, uh, I can't really see through, um, I'm not sure if either of the teams use the void years, um, to, but like the Eagles were using that for a while where like you'd have a guy, that you'd sign to a signing bonus and it would be like a, a there would be two year two void years on the end of it or a void year and and you're working under the premise that this is the guy you'll want so you re-sign him and then you'll kick that further down the Saints were kind of big on this too um, yeah like like Taysom Hill's deal this year right they came out and announced that huge deal for Taysom Hill yeah and then you looked at the details and there was no new money in the deal so what they did is they took his signing but they took all his salary rolled it into a signing bonus added four void years called it a new deal and they just basically you know prorated out his deal and saved themselves a bunch of cap room there was no new money on the deal but yet it was announced like it was a brand new deal to everybody no new money on the deal this year but next year there's $8.9 million in dead money if, if, if they get rid of them, right? So, like, yeah. that's the yeah. perfect you, – you offered up the perfect uh, example of this um, because, uh, you know, 
that means that either they have to re-sign him to something or they got 8.9 million on the books. So those are like kind of the kind of things that end up starting to, to cut into your, into your salary cap. Uh, but you know, 8.9 million when the cap's 200 million isn't the same as 8.9 million 15 years ago. Um, this was one of the things that Dan Snyder always had a problem with. And one of the, I wrote, I, mean, I wrote about it in one of the two books. Um, but like the organizations would, um, the, the organ, the only thing that illustrates like a team can't be successful is dead money. And this was way back. Like now the dead money doesn't count as much, but I, there was a Washington post article about the Redskins and, you know, at a time when like the cap was like a hundred million, they had like 24, $25 million worth of dead money. Yeah. So like that was what it used to be and where they used to be at. But, um, but yeah, the bills always come due, um, you know, money and, yeah. and maybe, maybe they don't run into issues because of the amount of money that could be coming to the, uh, the league soon. Um, in terms of that, that TV deal we talked about. Um, but I, 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 uh, if, if that money does come, we are about to see huge increases in every every market. And what frustrates me even more, knowing that that TV deal is going to come, is that the last CBA didn't really give the the rookie contract players enough of a boost, and it didn't it didn't decrease the amount of years in the rookie contract. The fact that a player goes and plays in college, this is me on my soapbox. The the, the players go to college for four, three or four years. They play football for free for a university. And then the NFL says, yeah, we have to pay you these wages because like, we don't know if it's going to work out or not. Like, you know, you're, these are the built-in wages. Like, you just get drafted, and then this is what we pay you. And then, as I stated, 60 to 65% of the NFL is in their first four years. Therefore, it, it becomes this thing where, like, the player is always the one who's taking on the risk financially and physically. The player is the one that played for free – to earn his way into playing for if he didn't end up being a first round pick, he ends up playing himself for less than 1% of this salary cap immediately upon being in the second round. I mean, we're talking about Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's been tremendous. Um, Nick Chubb's a running back. So he was, he's never going to get a fair shake uh, in his, in his money, in his career um, the way that maybe he would have otherwise, because if you make, if you make the draft an auction draft, we're having an entirely different conversation about running backs because I think running backs are important. A lot of people say running backs don't matter, this or that. I think that second contract running backs end up being a bad value, but I think that having a good running game and finding that rookie contract running back is super valuable to you. It, having a guy who, um, you know, it, we see it with young quarterbacks too, is that having Baker Mayfield with two, two running backs back there that are competent provide, takes a load off his shoulders. He doesn't have to, I mean, we, we remember, um, you know, we remember uh, maybe like a, I mean, Peyton Manning always had good running backs, but, you know, you can recall in your mind some young quarterback who felt like he had it all on his shoulders and he didn't have anything beside him to, to run the football. And, yeah, and, um, you know, to point being, if we have an auction draft, things are entirely different and people have an entirely different perception of, value and, and, and all that, you know? That's interesting. Zach, you are a fantastic guest. Uh, amazing stuff, man. I kept you for a super long amount of time. We talked about a ton of stuff, but it's going to make for, you know, great show. I appreciate you 
lending us your time and your expertise. Go to, uh, can they go to Amazon yeah, to get yeah. the book? All right. Yeah, go to- Cap- Caponomics Building Super Bowl Champions. Yes. Go to Amazon and get by Caponomics uh, Building Super Bowl Champions. Uh, Zach Moore. Zach is a uh, writer with Over the Cap uh, and uh, author of the book we just mentioned, Caponomics uh, Building Super Bowl Champions. Uh, certainly an expertise on the salary cap, a capologist, as we would say. And uh, excellent job today, Zach. You were fantastic, and uh, you did. I'll have to thank uh, Jack for uh, you know uh, t- talking with you, talking so much Browns with you because you knew your stuff. So thank you so much, sir. Yeah, Jack's my guy. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. This was great, and uh, just get me uh, get me uh, talking about these topics again and, and strategy and all that kind of stuff. As I said, I'm I'm in into jujitsu and everything right now, but talking strategy is my is my is my thing. So. I really appreciate having such a such a good partner in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It was my pleasure. And uh, you, they can follow you on Twitter at ZachMoore10P. Yes, yes. All right. And uh, absolutely uh, follow him uh, there. And uh, maybe we can have you again during the season sometime. I would be. Oh, yeah. I would love it. All oh, right, yeah. man. You can have me. Yeah, anytime All right, you Zach. want. All right, man. Thank you so much. Later, bro. Have a good day. It's a bonus edition Saturday episode. Big thanks to Zach Moore. He was outstanding. Uh, If you are watching the show live or on playback, hit the like button for us down below uh, and subscribe if you get a chance before you get out of here. Uh, We're going to get you out of here now and go enjoy the rest of your Saturday night uh, and the rest of your weekend here uh, from All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, A couple things real quickly. Jarvis Landry's softball game before the game, according to Nate Ulrich, speaking to the press, said OBJ uh, looks better than he did last year. Uh, This is from Jarvis Landry uh, referencing workouts in Texas that they just went through last week with Baker and company. So that's good news. And uh, look out, rest of the NFL, right? So that's awesome there. Uh, and uh, let's hope that that's all true. We Once again, we have big news coming for All Eyes on Cleveland. I can tell you this. It's going to be, you know, having something to do with tickets, tickets, tickets. We're going to get you maybe uh, uh, some tickets hook up. And uh, we'll talk about that as we move forward here uh, with the show and get more official on that. Uh, but yeah, for sure. Uh, all eyes on Cleveland. Keep coming back. Hit the like button. Hit subscribe. Uh, hit the notification bell on your way out. We appreciate it. It helps us out a ton. Uh, big thanks to Zach Moore. Once again, he was outstanding. Uh, for Mikey on the ones and twos, my name is Brad Ward. Have a fantastic weekend. And uh, like always, uh, go Browns.